beautiful Sunday morning. I'm going to read uh, Isaiah 14, and I'm going to read from 12 to 17. Have you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn? You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Saphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Those who see you stare at you. They ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made the kingdoms tremble? The man who made the world of a wilderness, who overthrew its cities, who would not let his captives go home? Um, selected passages from the book of Isaiah. And uh, the last time we went through the book of Isaiah, I did not do this passage, so I thought we should, uh, we should do it today. Isaiah chapter 14, in your bulletin you have uh, verses 9 through 20, but we're going to start with that middle section that, uh, that Jim read. Point number one, pride is the downfall of most. Pride is the downfall of most, and you see it in verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven. O morning star, son of the dawn. Uh, Old King James. How you have fallen from heaven. Lucifer, son of the dawn. Uh, Lucifer was uh, the Latin word or Latin name for Venus early in the morning. So when they would see the planet Venus first thing in the morning, the star most visible early in the morning, they called that Lucifer. And uh, that got into our Bible here in verse 12, the only place in the Bible that we have the name Lucifer. And uh, as people read it over the years, they thought, well, this is talking about Satan. Uh, he's the one who thought he could ascend to heaven, and it was his pride that uh, brought him down. However, I think, and most people think today, that it's not talking about Satan at all. It's talking about the king of a nation, the king of Babylon. So all the time you hear Satan called Lucifer, that's a mistake. Have you heard Lucifer for Satan before? Everybody, you've heard that, right? That's common. So that was just a mistake, a mistake an interpreter made as they went through uh, Isaiah chapter 14. Uh, they made that because Jesus talks about seeing Satan fall from heaven. And they go to Isaiah 14, and here you see a fall from heaven, and they go, well, this is talking about Satan. I think it's just talking about a world leader who's so full of himself that he thinks he's better than God, and he doesn't need God. In fact, he thinks he's more important than God. And uh, that's the language that is being used here. Isaiah is prophesying around the year 700. And the power in 700 is Assyria. Assyria, in our terms today, is northern Iraq. 
In fact, uh, its capital, Nineveh, was one of the, one of the cities taken by ISIS. And uh, ISIS, when they captured Mosul, Nineveh's on the other side of the river from Mosul, and uh, they actually went in and destroyed ruins and destroyed all the artifacts from this ancient capital of Assyria. And Assyria was the first great empire in the world. It went from Egypt all the way to India and uh, all the way up into Turkey, had all of Saudi Arabia, all of the Mideast was, was uh, conquered by Assyria. Assyria did something strange. They would take peoples and they would move them from wherever they were and transport them to another part of the empire. And that was their way of kind of jiggling them loose from their old loves and their old, uh, their old habits and making them Assyrian. They would move them around like that. But Assyria itself always looked to Babylon and they appropriated the culture of Babylon. They appropriated writing from Babylon, good thinking from Babylon, and uh, so they always looked to Babylon as a real cultural center. After the time of Isaiah, Babylon actually becomes the world empire. You can read about it in the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel. That is the major power in the world. And it again is one of these huge empires. And then after Babylon comes Persia. Persia is more centered in modern-day Iran, but it covered the same area. And Isaiah talks about Assyria, he talks about Babylon, and he talks about Persia and how God is going to use Persia to affect his will in the world by conquering Babylon. But when Babylon comes on the scene, Babylon thinks, I'm the wealthiest, I'm the best, I'm the most powerful, and is full of pride full of pride. Notice the pride. Verse 12, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. It's like you're the best thing in the sky. That's how great you are. But you've fallen. You've been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. You thought you were so great, now you're nothing. You said in your heart, Notice the pride. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Oh, the pride. Babylon pictures all of the gods sitting around up in heaven. And as far as he's concerned, he's better than all of them. I'll sit with them. I'll sit above them. I'll be better than any of those gods. We live in, we live in a world just like this, where increasingly nations think they are the key to power. The leaders of nations think of themselves as the most important and the greatest of us. God is marginalized. The government and the state is everything. And by the way, that's the way the newspaper treats it. Um, I will often read the New York Times or CNN. And it's funny, the first, I would say the first seven, eight, nine stories often are on government. 
It's like this is what's the most important in the world. Here's what President Trump is doing. Or here's what Pierre Trudeau, here's not Pierre Trudeau, Justin Trudeau. Here's what Justin Trudeau is doing. Right? As, as, if, as if this is, this is the news. This is really what's important in the world. It's because they're, they th- they're thinking like Babylon. That's where the greatness is. That's where the power is. Just read last night about a minister from the Seventh-day Adventists. He quit his job and quit his faith. There is no God. But here, here's what he said. All that matters is what I do. I must maximize my happiness and the happiness of others. I must maximize my happiness and I maximize the happiness of others because that's the best way to maximize my happiness. That's this kind of thinking. I'm what's most important. Of course, that philosophy and thinking works. When you are young, beautiful, powerful, capable, and rich. But such pride comes crashing to the ground when you hear you have cancer, when you're stuck in a nursing home, when your child has a disability, and you have no future. The pride is crushed. The ultimate in pride is when we say, I don't need God. We've never needed God. God has nothing to do with the world as we know it. We know better than God, or even today, we're better off without God. All of that is pride, sheer pride. Um, My favorite Muhammad Ali story is he was flying, and the flight attendant told him to buckle his seatbelt. Ali said, Superman don't need a seatbelt. The flight attendant said, Superman don't need no airplane. So easy to be full of ourselves. Uh, just to give you a little break, a few years ago, Chuck Norris. How many of you remember Chuck Norris from the movies? Okay, you all remember Chuck Norris. Today, people under the age of 30, Chuck Norris is a joke. Okay, I don't know if you've heard Chuck Norris jokes. I've got some for you. So, so people under the age of 30, Chuck, Noah, Chuck Norris is one of their favorite ways to tell jokes. So these are just jokes about Chuck Norris flying flying on a plane. Uh, Chuck Norris doesn't fly into headwinds. The wind is always running away from Chuck Norris. When Chuck Norris flies, the altimeter setting is 0.00 because Chuck Norris is never under pressure. Chuck Norris doesn't shoot approaches. He kills them. Two-way contact for Chuck Norris is when he hits you with both fists simultaneously. Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier with his Bell X-1 jet. Chuck Norris broke the sound barrier with his fist. Chuck Norris doesn't level off. He tells the altimeter to stop moving. Chuck Norris was flying. He saw a, wall, he saw a wall of clouds ahead, so he decided to punch through them. He then got back in his helicopter and flew through the hole he just made. Chuck Norris cannot be tracked on radar. If he appears, it's too late. You're already dead. It's funny how they make up jokes about Chuck Norris. And uh, as if he can't be defeated, he's this person who never loses a fight. And he's the greatest. 
and uh, based on human pride. Someone can be so great that they don't even have to worry about uh, the laws of science or they're better than all of that. Well, that was Babylon, this great city, and they're full of pride. This is not the only place in the Bible where Babylon shows up as proudful. Remember the Tower of Babel? Back in the early part of the book of Genesis, the Tower of Babel, and they gathered together, and here's what they said. Let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. So they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And God had told men to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. But man decided, no, we're going to stick together and we're going to build this tower that reaches to the heavens so that we will be great and nothing can, nothing can be withheld from us. And it's funny because the next verse says, God came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. They thought they were building this great thing that would reach to the heavens and make them great, and God has to come way down just to see it. It's so puny. Or in Daniel chapter 4, the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream, and in a dream a tree had been cut down, and he didn't know what it meant. So he asked for what's the meaning to the, what's the, meaning to the dream? No one knew except Daniel. And Daniel said, here's what it means. You'll be filled with pride, and God will come and humble you. Later, as Nebuchadnezzar's walking in his palace, here's what he says. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal presidents? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. What pride. I've done it. Look what I've done. Look how great I am. And as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people, will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all nations on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Seven years. At the, seven, at the end of seven years, his sanity comes back. And here's what Nebuchadnezzar says. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? The opposite of pride. Point number two. Death is the great humbler. Death is the great humbler. If you look at your scripture or in your bulletin, and notice verse 9. The realm of the dead below is all astir to meet you at your coming, or the realm of Sheol. It raises the spirits of the departed to greet you. All those who were leaders in the world, 
makes them rise from their thrones, all those who were kings over the world, they will all respond. They will say to you, you also have become weak as we are. You've become like us. All your pomp has been brought down to the grave, along with the noise of your harps. And I love this poetry. Maggots are spread out beneath you, and worms cover you. So you've got a bed of maggots, and you've got blankets of worms. (laughs) You're dead. You're dead. Where's the pride? Where's all the where's all the ability? Where's all the capability? Where's the glory? It's gone. Or notice verse 18. Oh, verse 16. No, 15. <laughs> but you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Those who see you stare at you. They ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made kingdoms tremble? The man who made the world a desert, who overthrew its cities and would not let its captives go home? All the kings of the nations lie in state, each in his own tomb. You're cast out of your tomb like a rejected branch. You're covered with the slain, with those pierced by the sword, those who descend to the stones of the pit, Like a corpse trampled underfoot, you will not join them in burial, for you have destroyed your land and killed your people. It seems to me that God has so designed the world that we die and we are humbled. We're shown to be incapable. We're shown to be weak. This will happen in your life and it will happen in my life. And I think he designs it that way so that we have these opportunities to turn to him in faith, to say, I need you, I trust you, I, I, I rely upon you, and I look forward to what you are going to do with me. I think that's why he designs it so that we get weak. Well, what does that mean for you and I? I've got a few texts from Proverbs just to read about pride. So what should we do with pride? First of all, God does not appreciate pride. He hates it. Proverbs 6. Six things the Lord hates. Seven are detestable to him. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a man who stirs up dissension. Number two, God will punish pride. Proverbs 15, the Lord tears down the proud man's house. Proverbs 16, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Proverbs 3, he mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. Number three, pride will destroy you. The title for this message is this, Pride Goes Before Destruction. Have you heard that before? Proverbs 16, Pride Goes Before Destruction, A Haughty Spirit Before a Fall. Proverbs 11, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. 
Proverbs 29. A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirits gains honor. Point number four. Instead of pride, we should be humble. Humility brings blessings. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. We had a long-term, long-time member of our church, Jerry Strickland. And Jerry Strickland was a very smart, very smart man who always voted NDP. He worked for the city government of Edmonton. He was in charge of uh, their activities department. Anyways, uh, Jerry thought, you know something? I don't need God. I'm okay. I'm good enough. And uh, when it comes to the rest of the Bible, it just doesn't make sense to me. I can't figure it out. And there was a pastor who visited him every week. And finally he said, Jerry, you're never going to be able to understand it. I've got a verse for you. It was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And that was the verse that got Jerry. Because he was leaning on his own understanding. And so he goes, you're right. I can't just lean on myself and believe I can have to figure it out. I'm going to trust in God. That's what he did. He became a great Christian. Humility brings blessing. Proverbs 11, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 15, the fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom. Humility comes before honor. Proverbs 22, humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor, and life. Proverbs 25, don't exalt yourself in the king's presence. It's better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you. Finally, proud people are big talkers. Kind of like the evidence of pride. Proverbs 8. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Proverbs 21. The proud and arrogant man, mocker is his name. He behaves with overweening pride. We live in a day and age of mockery. Because people are proud. Proverbs 25. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of gifts he does not give. Or Proverbs 27. Let another praise you and not your own, not your own mouth. Someone else and not your own lips. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's us. Not the proud. So today, number one, check your pride. Check your pride. Number two, there is a great leveler. Death is the great leveler. It will knock the pride out of you. And it's coming for you. It's coming for me. And you've got to humble yourself before the Lord 
or else he will humble you. That's not the way you want to be humbled. Let's look to the Lord in prayer.